And a reminder that Malcolm Holmline, who is about to join us, is going to be spending Pesach with his family in beautiful Puerto Vallarta. Um, yeah, I didn't even know how to spell it until I went to the website and stumbled upon it. Uh, you can uh, call this number for information about spending Pesach 2019 in beautiful Puerto Vallarta. 786-290-5919. That's 786-290-5919. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Nachum. So it seems... It's, thank you. It seems despite all of his efforts, and, and we have seen very, you know, up close and personal, we've seen some very public, sincere, uh, well, maybe sincere is the wrong word. Uh, we've seen some real effort despite all of his efforts. It seems Prime Minister Netanyahu is likely not going to be able to avoid um, some type of indictment and charges in the next couple of weeks. That's the that's the way it sounds. Is it, is it just the Israeli media with wishful thinking, or do you think this is going to come down like this before the election? Well, the indications certainly are that the uh, Attorney General intends to move ahead, and uh, Netanyahu's lawyers have tried to press that this should be done after the election. He himself has said it, that it's, uh, you know, it'll distort the process, whatever, and obviously he doesn't want to have this hanging over him, and, and uh, some of the polls show that he would lose maybe three, four mandates uh, in, in the Knesset if uh, if he's indicted. Uh, people, even in Likud, have, have, some have said that they should that he would, should be required to step down, although the vast majority uh, say that that is not the case. If he's convicted, yes, but not if he's indicted. Indictment is not a conviction, everybody should remember. And many people who, who have been indicted have not been convicted. But it will obviously be a, a hanging over him, and um, the people, the expectation is that it will come down in February. Wow. Maybe in two, three weeks. Uh so it's uh, you know it's another factor in a, what has otherwise not been a, a heavily contested, hotly contested yet election. It's no. heavily contested with a lot of parties and a lot of people moving between parties and being dropped from um, from positions in the Knesset. Right. Although some public forum are making efforts to try to make it a hotly contested election, yes, exactly, <laughs> including the New York Times. Uh, you saw that the uh, the Ethiopian Jewish community, I hope that was politically correct the way I put that, uh, are being represented uh, with their own party now in the Knesset, or not in the Knesset, their own party in the election process? Yes, yeah, so they have members, and the Gusi is the, uh, in fact, has been a long-term t- member and is chairman of the immigration, I think, in uh, Alian Klitak committee. Uh, there are others who are... Um, in the Knesset and occupying other positions, it's it's a success story to a large degree. It's a quiet success story. People don't you know, write about it uh, so much. But the uh, the fact is, the Ethiopian community is emerging on its own now. After as is usually the pattern uh, that sociologists uh, determine, you know, when you have immigrant populations, it takes time till they emerge on their own and and have the confidence and the ability to to field their own candidates. But there are many who have achieved a lot, and uh, it'll be interesting to see 
whether they, they sustain it as an independent party or do they merge around amongst these parties. And you'll hear a lot about all the... Because any time any two people are seen in a talk about them merging yeah. their parties or working together. This may not be really for now because there's so many news items we have to get to, but you did mention them. So has, I mean, someone must have done an analysis on the ones regarding the electoral process uh, the Ethiopian is frankly, you know, from this vantage point, I always thought it was rather significant. But if you ask North Americans living in Israel, they'll argue that it's rather insignificant for a uh, greater Israeli community for these many decades. Um, and any any anything that determines or or would be a contributing factor to when an immigrant group really succeeds electorally, and when others, you know, take so many years to really gain their footing. Well, first of all, there's also tradition, and Americans don't don't have this tradition we have two parties um and we uh, they integrate into israeli society and they are part of every party there are american olim who are uh, occupying key positions and have in in the knesset list actually i think it'll it'll be down uh, this year um uh, dorn schmielman was supposed to run but i see he he's not so um i think it's because they they don't um, organized as a community, as do these other groups, and the uh, the Russians had their party with Lieberman, that right. was a Russian uh, Jewish party, and they too now are their candidates to be found in all the different lists. And Lieberman's party, it's rumored, may not even make the cut, you know, the, the threshold. So as they integrate more into society, they they assume positions, but in the more universal rather than in a separate party. All right, last last thing for now about the election. If there is an indictment, and let's say it's in February, as you somewhat predicted, um, it, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it in this country certainly, you know, countless times. There there are times when people really abandon the candidate in that type of situation, and there are times when the the numbers barely fluctuate. It's there, I, I would even argue there are times when the candidates seem strengthened, <laughs> you know, at least in numerically in terms of the, in terms of the polls, in terms of support. Any idea how this would go? Would the, I mean the way he's fighting the prime minister, the way he's fighting right now? You'd think that he's worried he's going to lose, you know, fifty percent of his support. Look, I think the um, that the the, the, the hey, there's no predictability, but. You know, it also depends on what's happening in the general election, in uh, overall election process. Is anybody er, er offering an alternative for them? Are they emerging? Uh, you know, is, are the parties merging and uh, the opposition able to unite in any way that would um, give them, um, the, put them in position to be able to be a lead party? Right now, that does not uh, appear. And there's always the first flush. But then once, I think, an indictment, the issue will be quiet until the election. They're right. not going to prosecute the, it. They're not going to you know, start holding additional hearings. Remember, he's been questioned right. so many times already. There's no clear alternative right now to Netanyahu in terms of someone being able to form, to form a government. He's worried that if this continues the way it does and the media jumps all over it the way they will, the way we know they will, he's worried that a, a an, altern- an alternate will will somehow, you know, be produced. Be... Or the defections from his own party, and that, that would reduce their number. Right. Even if somebody else doesn't emerge as a, as a candidate on their own, it's, it's the fact that he'll have defections and that people, people are tired of all these investigations and stuff and the overly obviously that it, that it has. And so it also depends which 
case he's indicted on. I don't think it's going to be about the champagne and, and the um, cigars. I think it's going to be probably Bezek or, you know, where they have a more substantive content in terms of the charges. The attorney general is a serious guy, Mandelblit, appointed by Netanyahu, close to, was cabinet secretary in the Netanyahu. Uh, this is not on, in any way uh, vengeance on his part because he was a strong supporter of him. Uh, uh, so, you know, he, his, his integrity can't be challenged that he's trying to manipulate this politically. What happened on uh, Mount Hermon this past weekend? So this is a, a very important story, and it has a lot of ramifications that the Iranians fired a missile from Syria to towards Mount Hermon that was intercepted, and there were, of course, hundreds of people skiing there. But the this is something that wasn't just an immediate response to the fact that Israel carried out uh, additional raids into uh, Syria, very effective ones that hid hit major depots that uh, where Iran had um, started weapons, large numbers of weapons, and uh, also hit um, a number of the missile sites there towards the SA, SA-2, SA-3, SA-17, the more modern uh, sites, uh, more modern weapons, actually. And this despite you know some of the comments of uh, from Russia warning them, and again they issued another warning saying that against these arbitrary strikes, as they called it, anything but uh, arbitrary. And the um, there are, there's a lot of speculation about why did Iran fire it, and the uh, there are people who link it to a Quds Brigade that he had been uh, the day before 40 kilometer. Uh, 40 kilometers of the Israeli border with Russia and Israel, that uh, Iranian forces would all be carried kilometer or 60 kilometers of the Israeli border, who has organized in, in Syria and is uh, the leader for Iran and, and organizing with Hezbollah. Of things that Israel was sending a message that they are to be deterred, even with the, Iranian, with the Russian warning after any of the supplies that are shipped by Iran. Um, they, uh, to be crossed, they're getting more and more sophisticated pictures at the airport of a plant to add precision guidance systems to their mis- to the missiles they already have. That that is no longer functioning, according to the the reports. So the the Israel's strikes were very effective and why uh, and well publicized area. and well publicized and the message to the Iranians, but also that there's a belief in leadership, don't know the true extent right. of the damage that is being done. Because it's, it seems to be a new innovation in the Israeli... Uh, oh, they don't uh, issue statements uh, saying it, but voices say, well, it's for the political season. And right. Netanyahu is, is issuing it, but uh, gave, made the statement about the 2,000 bombs that they dropped. Uh, skeptical voices will say, well, he did it because he's trying to establish his own bona fide. Uh, by the way, the reports also you know that the Russians had given advance Israel about the sites that are going to be struck because Israel at the sites uh, if they are if they happen to be present there. So the, um, there's so much speculation and there's so many rumors and uh, and it was all done. There's always and it's rumors. all the, the the westward rockets were all done with with. I mean they, they, they I mean the the question is to the average guy like me, would like you to believe they are. But I would assume Iran did with it. My question is, is it the same with Syria? Would Syria prefer they remain? So 
the the it, it's again a complicated Ascus and Lebanon. They've built thousands and thousands of population with Shiites. They are converting Shiite the Sunnis to, to win them over, and they are trying. To, they um, have weapon be deposed, and they are. They are not only uh, claiming the role, but their changes. So Iran's involvement is is factually um, established, and the the role that they played in 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 supporting like Hezbollah, it's come out that that Iran is spending about seven billion dollars in the region on, on supporting of terrorist groups, and $4 billion in Syria, $1 billion in Lebanon, uh, $70 million with Islamic Jihad, $50 million with Hamas, uh, hundreds of millions for the Shiite militia in, in, um, in Iraq. And, uh, by the way, the, and the target, is, it's a, uh, I believe this next target is the West Bank, which they want to create as a fourth front, you know, with, Hezbollah, with Hamas, Hezbollah, Syria, and the West Bank would be a fourth, um, a fourth front for against uh, Israel. And the the bases that they're building have two purposes. One of which is to get as close as possible to the Israeli border to be able to carry out cross border raids, as well as to establish their own military presence and dominance. And so they're not going anywhere. They're staying where they are in, in Syria. Nice. And while the U.S. and others can say we're going to withdraw, we're not going to withdraw until the Iranians are out. Iranians are going to be there for a long time. So uh, the alliance with Iran is too important to Syria uh, to express any disdain for their activities on the border. Would that be a good way of saying it? Because what you just described, it it seems like Syria, for their interest, needs Iran to to set up all these, uh, you know, uh, satellite locations in order to... Uh, in the future, I guess their hope is to attack Israel, etc. Right? I mean that, and that is most important to Syria compared to everything else. Well, the Syrians, and I know from Assad, do not trust the Iranians. They they had closed down their mitrashas, which are now being reestablished in these areas, and they've converted many mosques and built many new mosques in, in Shiite mosques and schools and and indoctrination centers, um, and uh, so. That that's one factor. Second, he is focused on the battle and trying to take over as much of Syria as possible. And in that regard, Iran is a, is an ally for uh, Assad and the Syrian forces. Uh, Russia can't be comfortable with the idea of Iran uh, establishing itself in this way and taking over greater and greater swaths of area. Um, but again, it serves their purposes. They don't have the troops uh, on, on the ground. And the real bottom line is that Iran gets away with it. Right. Look, look at look at the announcements by uh, Ali Akbar Saleh this week, uh, the head of their nuclear program, where he acknowledges publicly that they did not um, uh, destroy their nuclear production infrastructure, that he, he says it was photoshopped uh, and that uh, they didn't pour cement into it, but more importantly, that they bought replacement parts knowing that they were going to reestablish it, and and they were just doing this to put the pressure on to get the JCPOA uh, done. Mm. Now, is he manipulating and, and lying? It's very possible. Oh, because, again, he also wants to say certain things to his people, right? That That is true. <laughs> but but this is a pretty blatant thing when it comes from right. somebody who's the head of the of the nuclear um, uh, program. And 
you know, and Israel has its own strategies in in this area. Remember that Israel has to be concerned about the precision units, for instance, for the missiles, because their electricity sites, their water desalination, all of these things are ultimately uh, vulnerable. And if if they fire a lot of them and they manage to penetrate the Israeli defense systems, uh, then they could cause serious damage. By the way, one of the interesting things is that the Arrow 3 was successfully tested in in the Mediterranean, and now it's in the Kodiak region in Alaska, because the next test is going to be, jointly with America, a test against um, what would be an Iranian ballistic missile. What's its capability? It's much larger, and they needed a bigger area. What's its its capability compared to its predecessors? The Arrow 3? Mm -hmm. It's a greater variety of targets that it can hit, and, and each one serves a different purpose. David Sling, Iron Dome, and, um, and the Arrow 3. And each one is used in specific circumstances. One when you have longer areas, but the Arrow 3 will, will have greater uh, mobility, greater ability uh, in terms of uh, bringing down um, these long-range missiles and larger missiles. And the, obviously the United States and Israel have been working on it for a long time. There was, as I said, a successful test. There's been several uh, indicating that it, it really does work. And also, the different missiles uh, hit at different places. So some, and the goal is to get as close to the launch site as possible. And I think Arrow 3 gives them a greater ability in that regard also. <sighs> Unbelievable. I, I know I always say this, but I mean, tell tell our uh, ancestors of 100 years ago. Don't even, you don't have to go back further than that. First of all, tell them that there is a state of Israel. It'll take them a while to get used to that idea. And then tell them that Israel has the capability that it has. Just unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. We're off to Atlanta. The broadcasts start Monday morning at the Young Israel of Toco Hills as the NFL and the U.S. focus on Atlanta for a, uh, for a game taking place a week from Sunday. We'll be there focused on the wonderful Jewish communities of the Southeast. With a big thank you to the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and the Orthodox Union. Make sure to be tuned in all week long. Bad week for us anti-BDSers, huh, Malcolm? Well, it's a, a bad week in some respects, and um, especially what's happened in Ireland where they passed this legislation. Uh, we don't know yet if it will be implemented. But certainly the fact that it passed the, the both houses and it, it would impose even criminal sanctions for people who trade or do business with the uh, uh, West Bank. And it also puts Irish companies now in jeopardy wow. uh, for violating American law if they, in fact, comply uh, with it. So, it's, you know, these are complicated. We've also seen around the country more and more initiatives uh, on the BDS front. And the uh, fact that the, the revelations that the EU, the European Union, gave $5.7 million last year to pro-BDS uh, non-governmental organizations, NGOs, and that's in addition to what the individual states have given. Uh, Germany and others are being uh, implicated publicly now in funding to organizations that have advocated the BDS uh, movement. And then we also saw a member of Congress publicly associating with it and and supporting it. 
we, we had a meeting this week of uh, most of the organizations who are working on this front and uh, with, that we convened, and this is in advance of what we, we think will be a major event in March where we will have all the organizations. Um, th- this was really a planning session, but what we heard in terms of the reports from around the country, what goes on campuses like NYU and Columbia, the hostile atmosphere, the inability of Jewish students to wear Jewish symbols publicly, the administration's not standing up to defend the rights, that a student can be told at NYU that, that by a teacher not to take the course because the Arab students don't feel safe having a Zionist in, in the room, and that the administrations don't act against these kind of um, uh, activities and actions. It just, I mean, just imagine if a, a person of, a, of another faith or something had been subjected to these things. So we have lawyers. We're suing. We're doing all that we can to protect the rights of Jewish students. But it's a massive undertaking, and it's only going to be successful when we have a unified effort. The truth is we beat BDS on most campuses where the students there do, um, and administrations don't implement it. But the the fact that that we're seeing increased hostility. I was in San Francisco this week to speak, and I met parents who told us that their kids had to leave the campuses they were um, uh, where they were going to school, and they moved back uh, because uh, of the hostility that they encountered. And yet, we're involved in a massive lawsuit against the San Francisco State University. We, meaning the Jewish community, the Jewish students, against the um, inhibition against and the riots that took place against the speakers, Michael Oren, uh, Sharansky, others who came there to, to speak. And the university's uh, response was far from uh, adequate. In fact, was supportive uh, of those activities and denigrated the rights of Jewish students. And we should give a, a shout out to. Uh, Winton termed this the law firm that has already spent millions of dollars pro bono work to to uh, in this case, which hopefully will come to some fruition in the coming months. Most of the people listening, I don't think, understand how severe a situation it is. You know what? I don't. As much as I follow it every day, and that we fight it on every level. When I sat there and listened to the reports from the from all the organizations from uh, who were sitting around the table, hearing the tremendous amount of activity and positive activity, and we hope to be able to, you know, coordinate it better so that we we can maximize the use of the resources that are available. But when when you hear it and the and the firsthand testimonies of students and and what they're encountering and the the increased number of incidents and the in, intensity and now the movement out off the campus by BDS with a focus on city councils around the United States and elsewhere this is you know stuff that we saw in Europe and I keep saying that we always should watch what happens in Europe because it's a barometer for what's going to happen here next and and that is true we see it now in the political realm and we, we see it in this effort to move uh, BDS against companies um, Airbnb still being a fine uh, a case, and I hope everybody has written them and told them that they're not going to do business. And now that Airbnb is going after other areas, they said in uh, in Georgia, the, the country Georgia, South Ossetia, uh, but it still has it has nothing to do uh, with the problem with what they've done, delisting just a couple hundred places in and in, in uh, uh, Judea and Samaria. But they didn't do it against the Arabs. In these other areas, they're they're just stopping to do business with anybody. The discriminatory nature of what they've done in in Yudin Shomron and regarding it's it's not Israel itself. They continue to do business, but it is a purely discriminatory measure, 
and uh, they have to continue to feel the pressure and the heat from the community uh, and the hopefully there will be other remedies and that they will be found to be in violation uh, in support essentially of the anti-boycott uh, in violation of the anti-boycott laws that we have here in the United States. On the state level, who was it? Was it Arkansas? I forget already who was um, hiding. I don't know if hiding behind is the right expression, but who had said it was a First Amendment issue. I, I think There I, was a case in Texas. Was Texas? I, they had a case in Texas, but the attorney generals and others have come out very strongly. And the... Um, you know, there can be an application. BDS legislation is not intended to stop individuals from their right to, to be able to say things. BDS, and that's why it's not a free speech issue, which is the way that the opponents now are trying to fight it. Um, and, and you know, some of those, including certain members of Congress, have, have spoken against the legislation in Congress, even though it was changed to, to um, address that concern. This is not about individuals' rights. This is about boycotting businesses. This is about the BDS movement, which is the one that is really violating the rights of people, denying Jews the status of others, fomenting anti-Semitism, uh, and, and has to be fought with, with every ounce of energy, because it sets a precedent, because it uh, you know it finds itself in a world that is too indifferent, too complacent about a lot of these uh, concerns. Right, but if it ever did go to this Supreme Court as a free speech issue, you'd have to admit you'd be nervous. And the cases that, that have been brought so far, the, the, just this week, the legislation was upheld. And that may have been in Arkansas. I don't remember. Yeah, I think the, it was. Which uh, state it was? But I. But again, I say. If if a free if this if BDS on the state level goes to the Supreme Court of this country as a free speech issue, there, there's plenty to be worried about, even with all the precedents. Am I right? Or well, you never know how a court case uh, goes, but uh, I think the present court probably w- would uphold the rights of states to to enact legislation against the boycott, against the discriminatory measures. Um, Oh, yeah, Again, right. there are no guarantees, but I, I think it would, it, and the courts so far have been more or less supportive of it. When David Friedman, Ambassador Friedman, says that the peace plan will be out in April, I assume he means after the election, right? Says it specifically yeah. like that, so that it will not interfere with the election, right? Yeah, it, it would be dead on delivery if it if it right. if it comes now because it'll become a political football. Uh, the the fact is that the Palestinians already have said that they're not before they even heard anything they already announced that they're not going to uh, participate and um, so it's going to be an uphill battle once it it does come out. The the uh, new international airport is open in the southern part of Israel. It is in in I, you the know, I, lot, until, uh, until I saw in print that someone wrote that it's the first international airport built since the state. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. And it's amazing that it took this long when you think about it in retrospect. Well, people did fly in. They flew into Uvna. They flew into other places. But uh, I actually was on the plane, the first one, the commercial aircraft that landed from the United States there. Um, by coincidence, not by planning. And the the I'm ready the Jordanians are now complaining that it's too close to their border and that it infringes on their on Jordanian airspace. They didn't it's ridiculous think... because this is going to bring tourism to their side to Aqaba as well. Mm. It's going to benefit the whole region. Um, but as you know, there are forces in Jordan that have been uh, choose to reconcile with Israel and continue to promote hostility there. And now they've, they've found this as a new cause. But 
the the opening took place officially this week, and it's meant to to and because tourism to Eilat has in, increased a lot, there'll be direct flights from Europe, especially into to Eilat. So it is a very positive uh, development, especially for tourism and business there. Tell me about Israel's relationship with Chad. So Chad is a Muslim majority country, which is the special significance, and they. Um, announced the resumption of diplomatic relations. Uh, the Prime Minister went to visit. This is his fourth visit in Africa uh, in two years, and it shows the, the, the tremendous interest and the growing interest in, in establishing ties, benefiting from Israeli technology, know-how, and services. And the, uh, despite the pressures brought by Iran, Turkey, and others, and who are very active in Africa, and uh, both in fomenting terrorism and supporting terrorist organizations, but also in exploiting them economically and uh, trying to to establish a presence for political and other purposes. Uh, they the fact is that more and more African leaders are visiting Israel, wanting to establish relations. Uh, some even have abstained on U.S. Re- UN resolutions, or will be paying an official visit to um, two of the African countries in our. Uh, annual mission next uh, next month, and I assume you've never done that before. Am I we right? We have it to South Africa, uh, but that was you know that was a, has a large Jewish community, significant community. Uh, we also uh, uh, Morocco and Egypt are part of Africa, but Sub-Saharan Africa, not to, to these areas. Unbelievable! That's pretty significant. Uh, you you, I'm sure you know which countries. It's a public information yet that you're going to be going to or not. Oh, well, we we have notified the members of the conference. Right, but it's not, it's nothing you, we haven't, you we haven't put in the papers yet. Right, you were not discussed it publicly yet. Not yet. Um, where am I here? Oh, Mali. Tell me about Mali and the visit of the prime minister, which is upcoming to Israel. Well, again, it's another further uh, step in this direction, and one of the goals is that uh, Israel has been put up for uh, a uh, associate membership in the African Union. They were thrown wow. out, and uh, there are a number of countries that have announced that they would support it, and uh, there are more and more countries that have Israeli diplomatic presences. And uh, so each of these countries is, and, and remember that they're subjected to heavy lobbying against this, and uh, and when a country, especially those with significant Muslim populations or dominant Muslim populations, it has even more importance. But, it, it, you know, the, there was a period before the Six-Day War when African countries were very close to Israel and Man. benefited greatly from Israeli aid projects, which continued even after they broke uh, relations with Israel. Uh, they they were induced by the, you know, pot of oily gold at the end of the rainbow that uh, never materialized for them. And they all say that they have so much to gain because Israeli technology is so relevant to them, to their needs, whether it's in agricultural areas, uh, hydroponics, so many uh, medical areas that, that and Israel has aid projects in many African countries. People don't know. They, you know, the, they are... Um, they are very active in, in helping develop the agricultural, getting clean water, fundamentals, let alone in education and health uh, areas. Um, a reminder, Rabbi Yudin is going to be joining us from Israel. Always extra special when he addresses us on a Friday Arab Shabbos from the Holy Land. That is coming up. Malcolm, I cannot wrap up this conversation without speaking about the tunnels up north. I am confused regarding Unifil, Israeli permission to 
see and have Unifil inspect those tunnels. And I thought last week we said that now we know about all the tunnels. It, it seems based on the news that there might be more. Yeah, so I, God willing, will also broadcast next week from Israel. All right. Um, so we'll have an updated first-hand picture of some of these things. But yes. So the, you're absolutely right. The, the six tunnels that are known to have penetrated into Israel have been sealed and explosives and, uh, you know, liquid cement poured into them so that they can't be used. There are an additional number of tunnels, maybe five, six, that uh, uh, were dug, but they haven't crossed the border into Israel. So, so there's no action being taken against them. Israel's monitoring them, and they believe that some of these tunnels were begun 10 years ago. They're very sophisticated, very uh, intense amount of effort and money put into it. It's when, again, diverting money from the people and the, and the needs of the population. And the um, uh, UNIFIL uh, and UN troops are, have been barred by the Lebanese government from getting access to the tunnel. Israel is pressing them um, to take at least a limited role. The, by and large, they do very little and nothing. And those who have been up north, you can watch the camp and you see, you yeah. know, little trucks moving around, but hardly any outside maneuvers. And the and the infrastructure that's been built is all a violation of the UN Security Council resolution that they're supposed to be implementing. So uh, now UNIFIL asked for permission at least to go to the tunnels, and Israel saying that. You have to at least work to to prevent, identify, even if you don't take the actions necessary. And um, and the Lebanese government has uh, has refused them, so it's come under criticism for that. But the tunnels uh, represent, you know, another stage in in Iran's efforts in supporting um, different means to try and put Israelis in danger. To to whether it's missiles. Uh, above ground or tunnels underground, and the infrastructure that they're building, which is why Israel carries out so many raids, because there are so many targets uh, that are associated with them. And if you allow any of this to, to take place, if you allow them to build uh, these factories for the uh, to to implant the precision guidance systems, this would hold change all of Israel's interests. You know, Israel's electricity, more than 50%, comes from a half a dozen sites. Uh, and and they would so they would be vulnerable even with Iron Dome and stuff if if um, if these missiles uh, and and thousands were were launched um, from the 150,000 that is supposedly in the hand that are supposedly in the hands of the uh, of the uh, Iranians. So the tunnels are uh, one of the means, and you think about how much they've invested because they have to drill through rock. It's not like Gaza where you're you're going through sand. And these are all very advanced with communication system, electricity, et cetera, even uh, steps uh, drilled into the into the rock, uh, into the mountains. Um, and they go 80 meters down there. You know, people say, well, why don't they just see what they're doing? Because right. you don't know. And, and one of them began in a cement factory. How are you going to know from a cement factory which truck is going in for what? All right. Next week from uh, Israel, Bezrat Hashem. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Good again Shabbos next week. There he is. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM, and uh, next week, as he said, he'll be in the Holy Land, he'll be in Israel, which always makes this segment extra special, so make sure to be tuned in.